Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. I read an interesting story the other day about a woman who went into Walmart. Now, right away, you're going, oh, it's a Walmart story. I get it, but think about this. She went in, right? And she bought $1,000 worth of goods. She went through every aisle, and she put her cart was $1,000. So she goes to the checkout, right? The, the cashier's just tripping, right? 1000 She's like, I, I don't know how this is going to happen, okay? This doesn't happen at Walmart. And when she gets done, she it came out to $1,000, right? $1,000. And, 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 and so the checker's going, okay, how's she going to pay for this? She's going to pay for a checkbook. I'm going to run the check. Probably a credit card. Maybe a bunch of $20 bills. No. When she paid the cashier, she pulled out, dun, 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 a million-dollar bill. You're like, what? Needless to say, guys, the cashier was a little taken back, right? I mean, she's going, okay, so... Uh, this is this thing even real? How much change? Am I have to give her nine hundred and in 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 ninety eight you know thousand dollars and change? You see, the problem was was obviously this lady was serious, but there was no such thing as a million dollar bill. There's no such thing. Okay, the U.S. Mint doesn't even print them. Well, they arrested the lady. And when they arrested her, she had even more. She had a couple more million-dollar bills in her purse. And I just started to think in, in the story, I wonder if she was going to go down to, you know, the, her local GM dealer and try to buy a car with that and say, here's, here's a million, give me my change, you know. And I think how, I think of some schemes to defraud people, but the level of the intellect of this lady doesn't, doesn't probably score so well. I mean, a million-dollar Bill. Now, I assume in the story that she's now getting room and board at her local jail. You go, Pastor, what's your point? Well, guys, let's be honest. It's not too difficult to spot a million-dollar bill and see if it's genuine or not, right? We'd be like, are you serious? Whose picture is it, right? So it's, it's, it's a phony. It's a fake. It's... But see, when it comes to faith... In Jesus, that's a little bit more hard to judge, isn't it? Oh, 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 stay with me for just a moment. If I were to hand you a million-dollar bill, you go, Pastor, you're crazy. This is fake. I can believe it. It's right there. There's no such thing as a million-dollar bill. But when it comes to Christianity and Christianity in the life of other believers, that's a little bit more hard to judge. I'm not really sure if that's a Christian or not. I'm really not sure. You see, there are a lot of people who claim to be disciples, but they're really not. They put on a good show. They talk about being a Christian. Listen, they know all the Christian lingo, but here's where my heart hurts. You see, there's a lot of people deep down inside their hearts that they're not believers. They're not true followers of Jesus Christ. And we, we, we need to address this. Now today, I want to talk to you about discipleship. You see, Jesus, what's he going to do in these short verses? He's going to give us, well, if you're taking note, he's going to give us the test of discipleship. He's going to give us the test of discipleship. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yes, I understand. He's, he's addressing the Pharisees. He's addressing people that want to kill him. He's addressing those religious leaders that, that, that are opposing him. These are what we would call his enemies. But on the same token, we have wonderful application, and he's going to give us, if you will, five proofs to know if we're truly what? If God is truly your father. 
these proofs are going to give us an indication if we are truly his disciples or not. You see, once again, we can easily spot a million-dollar bill, but what about true followers of Jesus? Well, I know the question you're asking. You go, Pastor Ben, I've got a question. What is it? Well, what, um, what does it mean to be a true disciple of God? What does it mean? Well, the first place we need to look is to see what Jesus says about it, okay? What Jesus said. I mean, think about it this way, okay? At the close of life, the question will not be how much have you gotten, but how much you've given. Not how much you've won, but how much you've done. Not how much you've saved, but how much you've sacrificed. At the close of life, it will be how much you've loved and served, not how much you were honored. You see, that comes from whom we serve. Who really is our Father? Who really is our Father? Now, Jesus is going to show us, but before we do that, let's go back a little bit because I want to show you and I want to give you a nugget of truth. Remember what we've talked about so far, okay? Chapter 8 is a very, very long chapter, Okay, where does it begin? It begins with a woman being dragged into church, if you will. It begins with a woman caught in the very act of adultery. And here's what you need to wrap your mind around it. She was guilty. She was busted, couldn't be trusted. That's who she was. And they bring her right into church, but that's not where it started. If you recall, it was all started where they were trying to trap Jesus for paying taxes. You guys remember the story. They came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, is it lawful that we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Come on, Jesus, give it. And Jesus says, show me a coin. Well, what, whose inscription is it? Well, Caesar's. And he says, render to Caesar's the things of Caesar's, render to God the things of God. And they were astonished. The problem is, is that the Bible says everybody else went home, but not these cats. These cats are saying, going, we've got to trap him. We've got to do something. He's, he's making a mockery. Nobody's ever spoken like him. We've got to catch him. What could we do? What could we do? So early in the chapter, they go, aha, let's set him up. Let's trap him. Let's see if we could catch this man and this woman in the midst of what we call fornication. We call it adultery. Okay, I'm going to show you why in just a minute. And we're going to bring her and we're going to throw her humiliated, manhandled, betrayed right there in the midst of Jesus. And we'll see if we could trap him. Aha, uh-huh, we got him. We got him. All right, everybody, one, two, three, break. Let's go. And so they set their plan in motion. Here's the problem. The problem, guys, is that, number one, she is guilty. She's caught in sin. She's caught in adultery. Everybody see that, right? She's caught in fornication. You go, what is fornication? If you're taking note, it's sex outside of marriage. Now, here's what we need to understand. This law has not been enforced in over seven years. Over seven years, they had, and you go, why? Because The penalty for adultery was harsh. It was death. It was death. And so you couldn't just go, hey, listen, uh, I think my wife's having an affair. Kill her. Right? Everybody be like, dude, you're just tripping, right? You just... You're just tired of this marriage or whatever else. It, he was, it was so hard. Now, here's what I want you to do, okay? So it hasn't been enforced until today, until they bring it to Jesus. Now, picture the scene with me. Here they brought this woman, you guys with me, in front of everyone, humiliated, okay? I don't know if she had clothes on or not. 
I mean, she was caught in the very act. She was probably, if you will, think about it, betrayed. She was manhandled. I want you to think about her for just a moment. What she was doing, guys, was already wrong. In the, her conviction was probably she had to sear that conviction because now she's sleeping with the man. All of a sudden, the doors burst open here. They grab her and they bring her to Jesus. So she comes into church service guilty. I can't help but think that's how a lot of us do come into church at times, don't you think? And that's really one of the reasons a lot of people won't come to church. Oh, hey man, you want to come to church? Oh, you know what? If I were to go to church, man, they would burn down, right? Because we feel like it's, we're so guilty. But how many of us, let's be honest, have come into church guilty even from fighting with our spouse on the way to church? And we walk in and we put on a smile. How are you? God bless. I'm wonderful. How are you? Your spouse looks at you like, yeah, I'll show you after church, buddy. But she comes in guilty. We're guilty. This, where's the best place to come when you're guilty? It's church. Please come to the Lord. So this woman comes in guilty. Okay, okay. So here's the nugget, okay? Okay, so I started thinking about this woman, and I started thinking about it and started thinking, okay, the whole scenario, chapter 8. Now, my thoughts started running wild this week, and you go, how so? Only because... Last week, we left off with a statement that I found was very interesting by the Pharisees. You go, what was it? Well, in verse 41 of John chapter 8, stay with me. I'll try not to talk so fast, but it says this. He says, you do the deeds of your father, but they said to him, everybody see that, we were not born in fornication. We have one father, God. Okay, let me give it to you in another translation. It says this, but they said, We are not like children who never knew who their father was. God is our father. He's the only father we have. Do you guys see it? Here is a woman, and and, and the Pharisees last week are going, well, we've never, we, you know, all the fornication, all we, you know what? I mean, think about what they said. We are not like children who have never known the father. And I started to think about this. And okay, now I want you to realize this is just my opinion. Okay. My opinion, it's not in the scripture, but I want to, I want to leave you with something that maybe you can chew on for the rest of the week. I wonder what the mindset of the Pharisees were. You know, because they, they started saying, you know, well, Abraham's our father, and, and we've only belonged. But then they get really kind of, they get kind of deep. They started, and they bring her to Jesus, and she's probably still there, and it's all going on. And, and where are your accusers? Well, they come back, and now the last thing they tell Jesus is this. We were not born in fornication. We have one father, God. We are not like the other children who never knew who their father was. Okay, so, so what is it? What is it? What if the mindset of the Pharisees, guys, was to trigger an emotional, hurtful response from Jesus? What if their mindset was, listen, and you go, well, w- w- what do you mean? What do you mean? Okay. Here's a woman who was having sex outside the bonds of marriage, right? And you go, okay, I got that, Pastor. Now, stay with me, Okay. Because two weeks ago, here's what we learned a very important lesson. You go, what was that? 
the punishment for adultery. Both people need to be brought. They only bring one. You, you with me? And it's the woman. Listen, if we're going to make a point, why didn't we bring the man? They brought the woman. Hmm, what's the mindset? What's the mindset? Another thing we learned, guys, is that if you were an engaged or betrothed woman, your punishment in being caught was you were to be stoned to death. You with me? So this gives us insight that she was not legally married, quote-unquote, but she was engaged and betrothed. So she was married, just without all the benefits yet. If she was a married woman, the law said that you need to take her out and strangle her. So two different types of death, still death. We know that this woman was, help me church, engaged, betrothed, because Jesus said, you who have no sin, you take the first stone and throw it at her. Oh, okay. So, Pastor, where, 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 where are you going? I'm just wondering, my opinion only, okay? In some ways, I wonder if this woman was to trigger what they thought Mary had been doing while betrothed to Joseph and trying to trap Jesus. They will try to trigger an emotional breakdown on confession that Jesus was not who he claimed to be. Here's my point. Listen, that's how the enemy works. The enemy works. Now, we take a, we'll take a step back and we go, you go, Pastor, it doesn't say in the word. But what if their mindset was, let's get the woman, and that's going to trigger some things in, in Jesus because... We know who our daddy was. He doesn't know who his daddy was. Oh, he says it's Joseph, but we all know. We all know that they weren't married before Mary got pregnant. You see how that works? You see how that works? Here's the point I want to make, and here's the nugget I want you to take home. The Bible doesn't use the label emotional or, or basically emotional manipulation, emotional anger, but it does prohibit it. You go, what do you mean? First, here's what I want you to jot down. We are not to curse people who have been created in the image of God. That tells us in James 3.9. We have to be so careful with what we call emotional manipulation to one another. Why? Because James tells us we not need curse people who were, who were born in the image of God. That's the first thing. Number two. Second, um, emotional abuse violates the two greatest commandments. You go, what are they? Love God and love others as yourself. It tells that in Matthew 22, 35-40. So we want to be careful with emotional abuse because it violates his commandments, Right? We are to love God, and we are to love others. Third, think about this, emotional abuse, emotional manipulation, it displays pride and the lack of fear of God, which leads to destructions. Proverbs chapter 16 and 18 tells us that. And fourth, it's a betrayal to God by trying to be like God and deceiving others. I want you to note and compare. Note and compare. You go, what do you mean? 
I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you four things that I found based on, four themes that I, that I found based on emotional manipulation or even abuse in a relationship, and I want you to see how the Pharisees actually possess these. You go, what are they? Now, what are the, what's the note? It's noting them, and then it's comparing them, comparing them to even back then to our day. Number one, guys, think about this. Number one, it often involves anger. Anger. Emotional abuse often involves anger. You go, how so? Well, back then, the, the Pharisees were always angry. They were angry. They were always, oh, I can't believe this, right? Here's what Jesus did. Jesus did nothing but tell people about God, the Father, and he healed people and he brought people to life, and they're super upset. Why? Because they, Jesus, and his followers were going to, they were, um, I mean, think about it. They were cutting into the prophets, man. They were taking a piece of the... Listen, hey, listen, this is how we... And they're angry. Angry. The second thing I found, guys, is that, is that it, there's usually fear in manipulation. Fear. How so? Well, think about this. They have been trying to trap Jesus for a long time. The third thing were threats. Come note and compare. The person who tries to manipulate us through abuse or, I mean, think about it, guys. Emotional abuse or emotional manipulation often resolves to threats, and that's what they did. They were trying to kill Jesus. That, that, that was the story last time, right? He's like, you guys think that you belong to Father Abraham, if you were Father Abraham's, you'd be doing the works of Father Abraham, and yet you're trying to kill me. And instead of them going, Oy vey, you're right. What is wrong with us? We have the wrong spirit living within us. Lord, forgive us. They were like, even more mad. They were getting people. Go get him. Go get Jesus. Go get him. The Go get Jesus club. Go on. And of course, think about this in our lives, guys. The last one is Denial. Denial, I'm, that's not happening. I'm not doing that. And yet, the biggest problem that we see in the book of John is that they didn't want to believe in Jesus. I just wonder, my opinion, I wonder if they tried to, to use this young lady to make Jesus think for just a moment. You see, Jesus, that was your mom. That was like your mom, Mary. She didn't know where you came from either. She doesn't know who your daddy was. And, and Jesus doesn't fall for it. Why? Because he walks in the Spirit. Well, I'm calling this message today, church. Listen, if you're taking notes, who is your father? The test of true discipleship. Why? Because today we learn five test proofs that we are his disciples. Okay? Five. Now, here's what I want you to remember. This is so important. Every disciple is a Christian, but not every Christian is a disciple. And here's what I want you to grasp. Jesus has called each one of us to be his disciples. You go, what do you mean? Let me just say this before we read our text. God didn't save you just to save you. 
God didn't save you for you to kind of go, I'm saved, praise God, pray to prayer back in 1985, I'm saved, and leave you alone. He has a plan. He wants you to be his disciple. He wants your life to glorify him. Well, that's, that sounds like being in the ministry. Well, newsflash, we're all in the ministry. The Bible tells us in Ephesians that every one of you is called into the ministry at some point or another, whether it's at your job or whatever it might be. You go, oh, I didn't, I, well, I thought a ministry had to be up there like you, and, and, and every one of us is called. The Bible tells us in Ephesians that what? That I'm the equipper, but you all, you all do need to do the work of the ministry. How we live. So, every disciple is a Christian, but not every Christian is a disciple. Guys, let's read verses 42 through 47. We'll break it down real fast, okay? I want you to remember this. Their last statement to Jesus, help me, church, we were not born in fornication. That was their very last statement. And then they tell him, we have one father. And they point out God. I don't know if they pointed out, but I would. Point, we have one father, we're God. That was their last statement. Notice Jesus responds, verse 42. Let's read it together. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. Wow. Did you? <laughs> That's Jesus is okay. And the desires of your father you want to do. Let me tell you about the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him, when he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Verse 45, because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words, therefore you do not hear because you are not of God's. Your attention, please. Jesus is going to give us five test proofs of being his disciple. We're going to take those and we're going to apply them. But I want you to understand the context. Jesus right now, I believe, even though he just called them, you know, he just said, you guys follow the devil. That's your father. I mean, it's pretty deep. I still believe that he was a man of joy, and I still believe his heart was righteous in the fact that he wanted to win them into the kingdom. Here's my point. Jesus invites everyone to the party. It doesn't matter if you are over here and you are a prodigal and you have lived your life a mess and you've done everything wrong up until this point. Jesus says you are welcome in the party or you have done everything right in your life or that you feel you've done everything right and you're a Pharisee and you feel like on my own righteousness, I will make it to heaven. Jesus says you're still invited to the party. That is key. He's talking to them. He's a man of joy. But he's going to give you and I this morning text proof that we are his. These are some things that we need to ask ourselves some very serious questions. You guys ready to break this down? Picking it up in verse 42, let's break it down. Jesus says to them, probably with a smile on his face, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come for myself, but he sent me. Now, 
If you're taking notes, guys, text proof number one. Are you ready? If God were your father, he says, you would love Jesus. Verse 42, you would love Jesus. If God were your father, you would love Jesus. Now, you would stop and you go, Pastor, that's um, Captain Obvious. I love Jesus. It's Sunday morning. I'm here. I love Jesus. Well, let's break it down just a little bit, right? Because we need to ask ourselves, what does it mean to really love Jesus? Well, if you have a pencil handy, you can circle that word for love. It's actually the Greek word agapeo, agapeo. And it means to love in social or moral sense. But if you click on it a couple more times, it gives us a sense. Listen, every breath we breathe belongs to Jesus. Here's the thought. Do you love Jesus to where every breath you breathe, you know, is his? <sighs> That's the Lord's. <sighs> That's the word, right? You love him. You love him. It belongs to Jesus. Agapeo. Now, here's what you need to understand. It draws its meaning directly from the revelation of God in Christ. Here's what we need to understand. It's not a form of natural affection, however intense, right? It's actually a supernatural fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. Here's what I want you to understand. It's a matter of will rather than feeling. You go, what does it mean? To love God means you get up and you say, I choose to love God. It's not like, oh, I just... Right, you, you know that feeling when you get that raise, right? Or, or when you get that promotion, or you get that bonus, or whatever it might be. Oh, I'm so amazed. I just love you, God. Thank you so much for my brand new car. And you're just excited, right? That's, that's a feeling. Thank you, Lord. Ooh, this is not that. This is where you get up and you say, I choose to love my God. I choose. You, you all understand that love is a choice, right? Hollywood has tried to get us and tried to, <laughs> they've tried to do something to our brain where, where you see two people feeling, then they're just running in slow motion. And they're just, oh, and they're looking at each other, right, on a beach. And every one of us are like, that's the kind of love I want, right? Oh, come here. And they just hug each other and they turn around. And it's like, oh, that's love. That's not love. That's not love. Love is a choice. Love is a choice. It's a funny thing the longer you're married to somebody and somebody you choose to love. This is going to sound silly to you, but I know Natalie loves me not so much by, she says, she says, honey, she calls me honey. I love you. I, I get that, right? We, we get that, right? Uh, sometimes we, we get it in the, have you ever been on the phone, right, with your honey? And, and what's that? Okay, love you. Love you too. We just say it. And we, sometimes we don't even think what we're saying. I mean, it's so natural. So natural, right? Love you. Love you too. Love you. Okay, love you. Okay, love you. That just means we're time to get off. Okay, love you. Love, love, love you. Here's, here's what's silly, okay? In my shower is a bar of soap. When the bar of soap goes to where it breaks in half, you know what I'm talking about, where it's real small, right? And you're using a little bit to wash like this. There will be times when Nathalie will take and open a brand new bar of soap for me. And I'm going, she loves me. You go, that's a, no, no, no. See, here's why. It's a choice. 
It's a choice for her. I'm thinking of him even in the smallest of smallest of details. That's, that's the choice. That's the choice. Nathalie loves me. And she doesn't kick me out of the house when all my beard, barba, whatever you want to call it, hair is in the sink, right? Hey, I got to ask you guys a question. This has nothing to do with our text, but how many of you squeeze the toothpaste from the middle? And how many of you squeeze it from the bottom? What's the proper way? Thank you. Love is a choice. And I love my wife because I squeeze the toothpaste from the bottom, but sometimes she just grabs it and she squeezes from the middle. It has nothing to do with anything, but... Anyways, she's not here. I'll tell her second service. Don't worry. Don't worry. I probably won't. Love you. I love you guys. She's... So here's what I want you to hear, guys. Here's what I want you to hear. If God were your father, you will love Jesus. Let me illustrate it this way. There was a very wealthy man who lost his wife when his only child was very, very young. Then there came into his home a housekeeper to take care of that boy. The boy lived until he was of age, and then he died. The man had no other relatives, and he died heartbroken soon after the boy died. He had no one to leave his enormous wealth to. And there was a question about what would become of those possessions. They could find no will. It looked as it would all pass over to the state. At last, it was taken over by the state, and it was held a sale to dispose of the personal effects. At the mansion where he lived, the old housekeeper who had brought up that boy from infancy not having any money of her own, still being just as poor as when she began to work for the wealthy men and to keep the house for him, she went to the sale. There, she was. there was only one thing that she wanted. She couldn't buy the furniture. She couldn't buy expensive rugs. But there was a picture on the wall in that house, a picture of the boy. She loved that boy. He had been to her a son. And although she had no relationship with him, When the picture came to be sold, nobody else wanted it. And she bought it for just a few cents and took it home. It had been hanging on the wall for some time, and she thought, I'm going to clean it and take the back out and take the glass and polish it. And when she did that, some important papers fell out. They were given to the lawyer who said to the woman, I guess you've fallen on your feet this time. The man has left all his wealth to the one who loved his son enough to buy that picture. You see, God will do anything for those who love his son. Test proof number one, church, do you love Jesus? If God is our father, then we will agapeo his son. Moving on to verse 43, he says, Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word? Proof text number proof test number two, guys. If God were your father, you will understand the will of God. You will understand the will of God. You go, how so? Well, Jesus explained that the problem, guys, with their lack of understanding was rooted in their failure, even inability to listen to his word. 
They couldn't even comprehend that. Okay? C.E. Orr once wrote, quote, In order to do God's will, you ready? We first must know his will. In order to have real satisfaction, rest, and contentment in our lives, there is no true rest outside the Christian life. We must have full assurance that we are doing the will of God. How many of you can testify before you became a believer, there was no rest in your life? There was no rest in your life. You were... (sighs) Think about this. You can jot this down if you're taking note. The soul that loves God cannot be satisfied with anything less than this. As long as there's doubt, there cannot be that perfect contentment. We must have perfect knowledge of God's will concerning us, or else we shall not fully know we are doing his will. You go, what's the proof test? Well, here it is. You ready? Are you hearing and listening as well as doing the will of God? Doing the will of God. And again, I don't want to paint a picture that the will of God for you is is full-time ministry. I am saying, are you doing and listening and hearing God's word so that every single day you are walking in obedience to his word and what it looks like in your world? How you raise your kids, what you allow them to see on TV, what you allow them to see in the movies. Are you doing God's will? Are you praying about every decision that you need to make? Or do we walk in this going, I think I got this. God, if if I've been in the wrong place, please don't let me fall off. But are we really going, okay, I'm hearing what God wants me to do. I I know his word. I feel it in my spirit. And I love God the Father. And therefore, guess what, church? I understand the will of God. That's proof text number two. Look at verse 44 with me. Jesus looks at them and says, you are what? You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father, you want to do. Now, I bet at this point they're getting upset. Are you kidding me? He just said, you are children of the devil. I mean, I don't think you should go around calling anybody that. But Jesus did, right? I mean, Jesus like, listen, you just said God's the father. Uh, Correction, right? You are the devil. You are the devil's kids. And he was a murderer, right? Now, why did he say that? Because they had been trying to kill him. You're like, seriously? And he does not stand for the truth. And by the way, there's no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. Why? For he is a liar and he's the father. What did he just say? He He just said the devil is what? He's the father of lies. I think there's an interesting point before we get into our main point. There's an interesting sub point. We got to be careful emotionally and everything else if we're being led by the Spirit because we know that we have to test everything because the devil's a liar. And he tries to tell us stuff that isn't true. And he tries to what? It's what he says. Jesus told us a story. You guys remember when he said, he said, listen, um, Men, if you, if you look at a woman with, with lust in your heart, it's the same as committing adultery. And you and I go, no, it isn't. That's not the same. No, it is because it's a heart issue. You, you with me? But he says, if you are angry, it's the same as committing murder because it's a heart issue. And sometimes when we get so angry, we, can we be honest? We, we could murder somebody. They're made in God's image, but at that point, you're like, I don't care. 
you need to go. And we're so angry. And that's why Jesus said, Jesus goes, be careful, because guess what? Guess what? Be careful. And that's why we need to be walked, and we need to be led by the Spirit. Point number three, if God were your father, your will would be to do as the father desires, right? Your will would be wanting to please the father. Josh often sings this song, Hosanna, and one of the, one of the lyrics on there just really touches my heart, and here's where it goes like this. It says, break my heart for what breaks yours, everything I am for your kingdom cause. Think about it. That's what you're singing to God. Break my heart for what breaks yours. You know how Jesus died? He died of a broken heart for the sin. And I want sin. I, guys, I desperately want sin. I want my heart to be broken over sin. And I don't want to be so judgmental going, well, you're this and I'm not and I'm that. And you're, I want to go, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom cause. Guys, a true disciple means our will is to do what God desires. You see, Jesus reveals the very springboard of our wants. Our fleshly desires come from our innermost being. Sin does not just come about as a, 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 as a result of an outside force. It's born from those little hidden niches residing in our thoughts and our intentions, from the secret desires only the mind and the heart can envision. Therefore, we must love the Father that we put away our desires and submit to the will of his. Did you catch that, guys? We go, okay, I understand. I understand. And therefore, test, proof test number three is that we're doing, that my will is doing what God desires. God, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? Verse 45. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Proof number four, guys. If God were your father, listen, you would believe the truth. Do you see that? They rejected Jesus because he told them the truth, and they didn't want to hear it. It was not because he spoke lies. Jesus looks at me and says, okay, guys, listen. Which of you convicts, convicts me of sin? Again, Jesus gave his enemies who hated him so badly that they wanted to kill him. He gave them an opportunity to say, okay, tell me where I've sinned. Tell me. And they couldn't. This was another remarkable testimony of the sinlessness of Jesus Christ. But two operative words I want you to see right now. You go, Pastor, I wonder which word that John employs. Well, you guys know what it means. The first one is what? Number one, he says, if God were your father, you would believe, everybody say believe, the truth. You go, what's that word believe mean? It means to put their faith in Jesus. They're persuaded with reliance upon Jesus. They were convinced with confidence. That's what it means. You see, it wasn't that I, I believe. I believe, right? It was, I'm in. I'm in. Amen. And you go, what is truth? Well, last week we talked about it. It's the knowledge of God as revealed in Jesus' own self. Knowing this truth is knowing God. So what did he just say? 
Proof test number four. Listen, church, are you convinced, persuaded with reliance that Jesus is our Savior? Are you, are you absolutely, positively persuaded with that confidence? That's what he said. If God is your Father, listen, if God is your Father, you, would, you will believe the truth. What is the truth? The truth is knowing God. The truth is knowing God. Why do you think John is employing this word? Because there's so many times we can take that word and we can water it down to where we believe and I believe and I believe. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, there's a group of people who come to Jesus and said they believe. They actually did works. Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Didn't we? Listen, I handed bulletins out faithfully, Lord, and I didn't miss a one. I said good morning to every single person. Good morning, praise. And there's a group of people, and Jesus is going to say, but you, I didn't know you. You didn't believe. You weren't persuaded. You didn't know me. You didn't know me. Verse 47. He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God's. You ready? Proof. Text number five. If God were your father... You will listen to the words of God. I want you to note the word hear, right? Listen. Here's what I want you to see. It means to hear, guys, not just kind of a physical way with ears. It means to hear with understanding. And what he's saying is if God is your father, you would hear his words with spiritual understanding. The Pharisees at this point should have said, oh, my goodness, I need to repent. Please forgive me, Jesus. You are God. But they couldn't hear. They couldn't hear. I want to close with this. I want to close with this. This week, we got to see one of the greatest men that God used, Dr. Billy Graham, be laid to rest. Now, I'm a little bummed. And you go, why? Well, I got to be honest with you. I thought the Lord was going to come back before Pastor Chuck died. And he went on to be to heaven. And I thought, for sure, the Lord's going to come back before Billy Graham. 99, he was going to be 100 this year. I was like, Lord, that's a generation. Let's go. And the Lord said, no, Ben, nobody knows the day or the hour. So I'm a little bummed at that. But they, they got to lay this man who preached the gospel to rest. So I want to close by honoring Dr. Billy Graham with this illustration. If God were your father, you would listen to God's words. Amen? This is a letter that was actually written to Billy Graham. Dear Dr. Graham, I know I ought to read the Bible, but every time I try to read it, I just end up getting confused. I was never a very good student, and all those strange names and places in the Old Testament get me lost. Is the Bible really that important? What am I doing wrong Signed, Mrs. L.Y. Dear Mrs. L.Y., I noticed that you are married. Did you ever get a letter from your husband-to-be and decide you wouldn't bother reading it because his handwriting was poor or you were too busy or for some other reason? He said, I doubt it. And yet, 
That's what many of us do with the Bible. The Bible is God's love letter to us, telling us not only that he loves us, but showing us what he has done to demonstrate his love. It also tells us how we should live because God knows what is best for us and wants us to experience it. Never forget, the Bible is God's word given to us so that we can know and follow him. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Guys, proof text number five, that you will hear and you will listen and you will have that understanding because you have surrendered your heart once and for all to Jesus. And that every time you open his word, you pray that God would speak to you and we don't just read it to get the, just check it off, the yearly Bible, done, amen. What's next? But we would sit before a holy living God and say, God, I want to be your disciple. And a disciple hears your words with understanding. Let me give you a nugget. You ready? The enemy brings guilt in your life. The Holy Spirit brings wonderful conviction. So when you hear something and you begin to feel a little convicted, you need to shout and praise the Lord. Why? Because you know the Holy Spirit is living inside you and he's going, okay, this is an area we need to correct. Guilt is going, you will never amount to anything. You are worthless. You can't do this. You're going to be guilty for the rest of your life. God doesn't do that. So if you read the Bible, if you read the word of God and you walk away guilty, you're reading somebody else's mail because it's a love letter to his, to his followers, to his children. And that's what he says. And so in these, in these verses, guys, he gives us five proof texts. You would love Jesus. You would love Jesus. We would listen. We'd have a heart of understanding. We would purpose our will after his. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for your will and your word. Thank you, God, that you're in control of all things. We love you. We thank you for Bible study. We look forward to what you have for us next week. And Lord, we look forward to Wednesday night. where We can partake in communion and we can study the book of Ezra. Thank you, Jesus, that you're here. May we all be disciples of yours. From this day forward, in Jesus' name. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.